as we get into today's sermon, compromise is the big idea. Compromise, compromise, compromise. Now, over the summer, um, on social media, you know, you see the reels, you see the, these quick little eight-second videos. And there was this eight-second video of Kobe Bryant. And what Kobe Bryant ended up saying was this, is in the off-season, what I would do is I would set a plan, a workout plan, a workout regimen for my summer. And once I set that plan, what I did is I no longer negotiated with myself. That was the plan. I set it, I signed it, it was done. So he said, if I got into the plan and it was not enough, I still did it. If I got into the plan and it was too much, I still did it. And then he proceeded to say, what we have is a generation of people who say they're going to run two miles, and then once they get out to run two miles, they get one mile in, and then they negotiate with themselves. And then they quit because it becomes hard. Anyone in here ever started a diet, ever started a workout, ever started some kind of plan in your life, you did it one mile of the way, and then you negotiated with yourself and you quit. Negotiation, negotiation, negotiation. So what I ended up doing is after I heard that, of course you get motivated, right? Especially during the sabbatical. So I said, I'm not going to negotiate with myself. So when I would go running, no negotiation, just did it. I want to run X amount of miles today, just doing it, no negotiation, even if it's really hard. But then I said to myself, how do we apply that spiritually? How do we become non-negotiable with ourselves when it comes to Christ? See, in the world that we live in, negotiation, or how about I say this, compromise is one of the biggest killers to the Christian life. Compromise, compromise, compromise. You maybe had a plan to come to church today, talking to my live stream audience. You may have planned to be here, but you compromised because you woke up five minutes late. How many of y'all have ever woke up five minutes late and you know you have enough time to get to church, but you use those four and a half minutes to not come? Come on, somebody. I woke up at 8.01 and I was supposed to get up at 8. I don't have time today. Compromise. 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 See, we compromise with small things like that. But what we have now is a generation of people who compromise on what the Bible says, who compromise on the standard of the Bible, who compromise and forsake fellowship. And that's what we're going to see here in the church of Pergamum, compromise. When we think about life with Christ, it's important to recognize that every poor decision comes from a place of compromise. We can't point the finger at others for the decisions that we make or the decisions that we have made. Now, each day, you and I are tempted to compromise. And if the enemy of our life can get us to compromise, compromise, he has won. 
compromise, compromise, compromise. A.W. Tozer said this, A new Decalogue has been adopted by some of our day, the first words of which reads, Thou shalt not disagree. And a new set of Beatitudes, too, which begins, Blessed are they that tolerate everything, for they shall not be made accountable for anything. It is now the accepted thing to talk over religious differences in public with the understanding that no one will try to convert another or point out error in his belief. I used to think what was good for us was to love without an agenda. It sounded really good. Sounded really good. I'm going to love you without an agenda. But biblically speaking, I don't see loving people without an agenda. See, we're always supposed to love people unto Christ. And what Tozer is pointing to here is during his day, he recognized that people would meet and talk about religion and no one even stand up for what was truth. It's a major problem when believers compromise truth to accommodate the world. I'm preaching. I'm going to say it again. It's a major problem when believers compromise to accommodate the world. Or how about this? It's a major problem when believers compromise truth to accommodate their boss, to accommodate their friend, to accommodate their peer, to accommodate their neighbor, to accommodate their spouse, to accommodate their kids, to accommodate their political candidate, to accommodate their worldview. We compromise truth to see life the way that we want to see it. We cannot compromise truth. Jesus had a major issue with compromise in the Pergamum church. And this should heed a warning to you and I today. Jesus had such a problem with it that he says this, Revelation 2, verse 16, uh, Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So what Jesus is saying is, for those who don't repent, for those who keep on compromising, and for those who don't repent, I'm coming to them and I'm going to fight them. Who wants to fight with God? Who wants the sword out of God's mouth to come at them? God is powerful. God is serious. Now, I used to have a mentor, actually still a mentor, and um, he was telling me a story about one of his, one of his friends who was in a worship, a worship meeting once. A bunch of people were coming to a worship meeting. And during worship, the guy's doing this. And the guy goes up to him and he says, uh, Hispanic man, hey, Xavier, what are you doing? Senor Mike, I'm fighting the devil. So he felt like he was doing intercession in worship while he's practicing his tie bow, fighting the devil. Now I'll tell you this. I don't want to fight the devil. 
How many of you guys want to fight the devil? Not me. But I certainly don't want the sword of God to be fighting against me because the sword of God is far more powerful than anything ever. Amen? So God was serious about compromise in the church's life. Pergamum was the official city of the Roman province of Asia Minor. It was the most prominent city in Asia Minor. It uh, had many temples. Um, Dionysus, uh, Athena, Asclepius. Now, how many of you guys are in healthcare? Asclepius is the snake with the rod that is often on your attire or within your hospital or in your medical building. So, um, yeah, long before the New Testament days, Asclepius had been recognized as a god, the son of Apollo and the virgin Cornelius. He was termed the savior, and it was claimed that he had power to avert death. So much of the healthcare system has taken their symbol from a false god that was worshipped because this false god could avert death. How many of you guys knew that? Interesting, isn't it? It's weird. The conspiracy theorists can take that wherever they want. But this city was the center of worship um, for the state, or yeah, the center of worship where they would worship the state, where they were, and they would worship the emperor. It had three temples to worship the emperor. So the church of Pergamum had many that were opposing them. It'd be like if Mechanicsburg had three temples that were against us. If Champaign County, if we had three temples that were just completely, completely against us. The main issue that was um, going on in Pergamum was compromise and the compromise that they were willing to make. So as we get into today's scripture, Jesus warns them of judgment. Revelation 2, verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. Let's not miss this. This is the first negative introduction that we've seen in the churches so far. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars, was in Ephesus, so it talks of Jesus holding the seven stars. And then these are the words of him who was first and last in Smyrna. But then now to Pergamum, these are the words of him who has a sharp, double-edged sword. So some kind of weapon. Now, why would Jesus say this? Because he wanted them to know that they were facing imminent judgment. He wanted them to know, yes, my feet are bronze. My voice is like rushing water. 
I hold seven stars, right? I'm the first and the last, but I have a sword that comes out of my mouth, and there's imminent judgment that's coming your way. We forget about that, don't we? When Christians um, interact with sin, they usually just interact with sin as a saved issue rather than a loving God issue. Nevertheless, um, he said this because imminent judgment was coming. This, was bec- um, this would have been easily understood to those who were listening or reading this letter. Because in Roman culture, governors had two classes. Those who could carry swords and those who didn't carry swords. Which meant this, that those who were able to carry a sword had the power to bring death. It also had the power to save life. So when Jesus is presenting this, when John is depicting this of what Jesus is saying, the audience would understand the power of a sword. I'm sure there were a bunch of wagons back in the day that had signs on them that said, don't tread on me, right? Or um, carry a sword, right? So there were soldiers that were carrying swords, and they understood that that sword could bring death. See, based upon um, the opinion of one carrying the sword, if Sean Bay came up here and I had a sword, I get to choose whether he would live or whether he would die. But Jesus' sword is far greater than any other. So we're not to be concerned with the world and their judgment. What we are to be concerned with is the judgment of Christ. He's saying, I carry this sword So don't be concerned. What he's getting at real quickly is don't be concerned with the others in Pergamum who are going to look down on you or make fun of you or beat you or kill you. Be concerned with my sword because if you don't stop compromising, I'm going to fight you. If you don't stop this, I'm serious about this compromise in the church's life. If you don't stop compromising, I will fight you. So that's what Jesus brings really quick. But Jesus, um, he applauds them for their faithfulness. So he has the introduction, and then he applauds them for their faithfulness. Verse 13, he says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, Not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. So Jesus knows the city of Pergamum is not a godly city. So he commends them because it was challenging for them. It was challenging to identify with Christ in those moments. How many of you guys in your workplace feel like it's challenging to identify with Christ sometimes? It's not that you're avoiding it, but it's still kind of challenging, right? How many at the school or in your work or um, out in the community at Walmart? It can be challenging because of where culture is. 
Come on, somebody. If not, we better start an evangelistic ministry here because God, that's what God is uniquely doing here. If you are like, it doesn't bother me at all, ever, then we're going to start evangelistic training and we're going to start ministering at Walmart, at Sitco, at Valero, at Whole Foods, at Winner's One Stop. It's challenging. And Jesus knows that for them. So he's commending them. See, people were being killed, exiled, jailed, and beaten. But they never turned their faith from Jesus. So not only does he commend them, but he lets them know that he knows them. He said, I know where you live. This isn't a threat from Jesus, like, I know where you live, I'm coming from, uh, for you. This is him relating to them about the problems that they're facing. Essentially, he's saying this, I know about the Acropolis. I know about the idols. I know about the shrines. I know about the temples. Because as a Christian, I'd, I'd come home and I'd be talking to Macy and I'd be complaining about the temples. I'd be complaining about the shrines. I'd be complaining about the Acropolis, right? I'd be complaining about the altar to Zeus or the cult of Asclepius. I'd be frustrated because of all the worship of the state. And Jesus is saying, look, I know where you live. I understand what you're going through. And I would say this, Jesus knows where you live too. Jesus knows where you work. Jesus knows where you walk. Amen? So, but the idea of the worship of state is interesting. Jesus is letting them know. He knows where they live. And there was a bunch of worship of state going on. I've seen our culture turn to the worship of nationalism, patriotism, um, state. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not against um, praying for politics. I'm not against being involved in politics. But what I do know is God is above all politics. Amen? Um, in private conversations that if you ever want to know my opinion about politics, you've opened up Pandora's box about my beliefs. But I don't believe it's from the pulpit that I should share that. Um, nevertheless, um, what was going on here is this worship of state. And it was a huge problem. Caesar was Lord over all in that land. That was the idea. Caesar's Lord, but all of you guys can have your privatized faith. So within Pergamum, there was the idea that you can have freedom of faith, freedom of religion. You can worship whoever you want, but you're going to honor Caesar as Lord overall first. So it was expected that your private faith wouldn't dictate the way you interact with the world. That's kind of what we see here. That's what we see in America. You guys can go be Christians, but don't let Christianity into the de decision about abortion. You guys can go be Christians, but don't let that Christian stuff dictate what we believe in a male and a female is or what science is. We see that happening. Go be a Christian, but keep that in your house. 
well, how does the gospel and how does light ever get spread unto the, to the world if we're not allowing our faith to have an agenda everywhere we go? See, that's kind of, yeah, what we see today. Yet it is expected that our faith as Christians don't get in the way of society. And that's where many believers yield their faith. I'm a Christian at home, but when I go to work today, I'm just going to submit to the God that they serve. And the God that your workplace serves is just the God of whatever they want it to be. So instead of bringing the God, you submit to their God. Or when you go to school, you submit to their God. Why do we yield? Why do we compromise? See, they, um, they don't bring up Jesus in public, but privately. He's their Savior. That's what was going on. That's what can happen when we worship state. That's what the state is trying to make us do. So if Jesus knew where they lived and what they dealt with, we too are to find comfort in him knowing where we live. Christ has you right where he wants you. For in darkness there can be light that brings hope. But if we submit to the proverbial state, to the greater Lowercase God in that circumstance will never see change. Amen? Is that clear or am I just making it clear in my mind and no one's getting it? Clear. Make it plain. Jesus has you right where he wants you. So Christ's desire is that we remain in the world but not of the world. And we find that in John 17. In no place did the Christians have a more difficult time than in Pergamum, the center of um, the paganism of the day. In Smyrna, it was the synagogue of Satan, in Revelation 2.9. And in Pergamos, it is the throne of Satan, his base of operations. So Jesus applauded them for standing firm through persecution and challenging times. Hey, you've endured through some of this. Good job. I'm applauding you for that. I know where you live. But now he rebukes them. The church of Pergamum compromised. Verse 14. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. To better understand this, we must look at the Old Testament. So many of you guys are familiar with the story. But in Numbers 22 through 25, God's people, the Israelites, were destined for the promised land. But they had been wandering in the wilderness 
for years, just going in circles. And at this point of the story, God's people were traveling through the land of Moab. And this scared the king because the Amorites and the Egyptians were both, both destroyed. So the king is afraid because he's seeing that because of God's people, Egyptians and Amorites have been taken care of. So he's like, what, what am I to do? I don't want to be destroyed myself, so I must do something. So King Balak decided to hire a sorcerer, and the sorcerer's name was Balaam. He was to curse the people so that they, could, so that they would be destroyed. Then upon having success, he would receive a reward. So look. Balaam, come on in here. Here's what I want you to do. Once you do this, once you curse God's people, they can't do anything. I'm going to give you all these treasures. Just do this one thing for me. But for those who know the story, God did not allow Balaam to put a curse on his people. God did not allow that to happen. So the demise of God's people didn't come from the outside. The demise of God's people came from the inside. And you know what happened to God's people? They compromised. See, you know what I get tired of? Is I get tired of the Christian world blaming their compromise on the devil. Word. <laughs> I get tired of that. Oh, the devil's just, the devil's just testing me today. Well, when we look at temptation, where does temptation come from? Within you. We've studied that. Temptation only comes from things that you desire. So we are not full of the spirit enough to overcome temptation right now, and we're giving in to that desire. But what, what the Christian world likes to do is say, well, the devil's really testing me today. The devil this, the devil, devil that. No. What we see is the devil can't curse God's people. The devil's not cursing God's people. What happens is when God's people fall, it's because of compromise from within. And I'll show that to you here. Numbers 25, 1 through 3. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with the Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burnt against them. So why did God's people begin to indulge in sexual immorality and sacrifice to other gods? Was it because of the curse of Baal? Or sorry, Balaam? Did the curse of Balaam work? Is that what ended up happening? No. Here's why. Balaam answered Balak. Did I um, not tell the messengers you sent? Sorry, did I not tell the messengers you sent me? Even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace. I could not do anything on my own accord, good or bad, to go beyond the command of the Lord. 
and I must say only what the Lord says. So Balaam's saying here, look, I couldn't do anything past what God allowed, and God wasn't allowing me to curse his people, so what's happening here didn't happen because of the curse. What's happening here is something different. Compromise. But we find out later in, yeah, Numbers 31, verse 16, they were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and enticed the Israelites to be unfaithful to the Lord. So what's going on here is Balaam was unable to curse them, but he thought of something else. Since they can't be cursed, let's tempt them. Send women to God's people and cause them to compromise in sexual sin. This will destroy them. Compromise, compromise, compromise. God's people couldn't be touched. So what they did is they just sent man to, comp to help them compromise, compromise, compromise. See, the storyline of Israel is in the land of Moab can be outlined like this. There's an issue. The Moabites want God's people dead. Compromise took place. Sexual immorality and idolatry in God's camp. 24,000 Israelites died because of this compromise. A plague would be their only accolade. Their chance at the promised land would be lost. Compromise caused this. What kind of compromise does the church of America make right now? What kind of compromise is the church of Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship making right now? What kind of compromise is your household, wherever you live, making? What kind of compromise are you making? And we can't point this compromise at the devil. We have to accept that we have negotiated and we have compromised and we have allowed sin to entice us. So here in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is letting those in Pergamum know that they are on the same path of those who submit to the compromise that Balaam sent. They are on the same path. He says this, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some of you who hold to the teachings of Balaam who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate the food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual idolatry. See, that same spirit, the spirit of Balaam, the spirit of the Antichrist, was alive during this letter, and that same spirit is alive today. The spirit of Balaam is alive today. The Spirit wants us to compromise in every area of our life. Don't we see this in society now? Don't we see society, this spirit of compromise, trying to get us to compromise what is truth? Trying to get us to compromise what is God's standard? Trying to get us to compromise His Word? Trying to compromise our obedience? 
compromise, worldliness, tolerance. Those are common things that the American church is beginning to participate in. Compromise, worldliness, tolerance. Compromise, worldliness, tolerance. Don't you see that temptation in our world today? And the issue is maybe our church at Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship can see it, but maybe where we have compromised as a church is when we are with the world, we say nothing. What good is it to see a problem and do nothing about it? You know what that is? Compromise. So as much as we're pointing the finger at the world, the finger or three fingers are pointing back, right? We see the tolerance. And you know, we can get in these holy meetings and biblical conversations. I can't believe what they're allowing up there at that school. Or can you believe that what that person was wearing? Was that a male or a female? And we have these conversations. We say, I can't believe this next generation of people. I'm afraid for them. Maybe all true. But why are we so afraid when we have Christ? Be anxious about nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplications. Present your requests to God. So when we see these issues, we recognize their compromise, but we're overlooking our compromise. We're pointing at the law, or we're pointing at the speck when we have the log. Macy and I um, were out to eat recently, and there was a lady who was either blind or um, legally, legally blind, but she had a little dog to help her. And Macy's really interested in the dog. She loved looking at the dog and just watching how it interacted. And the dog had, you know, of course, a handle, and the owner would search for the handle and grab it, and then the dog would lead, it, lead her. That's what the church needs to be for those who have compromised. Amen? We need to be the eyes and the ears and the path to help people see who Christ is. But our great compromise is that we're afraid to stand up against the world that doesn't like us. We must take note. What kind of compromise are we making because compromise is one of the enemy's best decisions, or sorry, best weapons? What, what does compromise do to us, right? So the thing about compromise is this, is compromise happens over time. So you don't, um, so when it happens over time, you don't notice, or yeah, you don't notice that it is even happening. It's the slow fade, right? Because it happens over time, we don't notice it. Here's what also compromise causes. It lowers the standard that we first held. We used to think this about this subject. Now we've lowered it down here. The other thing about compromise is it 
it's rarely offensive because it's considered to be loving. Compromise. Finally, compromise. It will lead you to accepting what you once thought was disgusting. Who wants to compromise in here? I'm tired of compromising. Even just compromising with yourself about what time you're going to wake up or what you're going to eat the next day. You don't feel good about yourself, but spiritually, compromising is not good. It's been said, what one generation tolerates, the next will accept. What that generation accepts, the next will celebrate. Don't we see that happening today? What one generation tolerates, the next will accept. And what that generation accepts, the next will celebrate. What are we celebrating today? And why are we celebrating that? Because that was accepted. And we're tolerating things. And you know why we're, you know what to, tolerating things is? Is sometimes you think that um, we go to, we're outside of Sunday mornings, or maybe even sometimes on Sunday mornings when we're talking to people, we don't think that we're tolerating by being quiet. We think that we're waiting on the Lord's timing. And years go by, and years go by, and years go by. There was this time there was a kid uh, much older than me. It was about um, 14 years ago, probably eight, nine years older than me. And I saw him at Berg One Stop. And while I was in Berg One Stop, I felt like I needed to talk to him about Jesus. And I wrestled with it. How about this? I compromised. And I said, I don't need to talk to him about Jesus today. I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm scared. I don't want to. True story. The next day, I saw on Facebook, might have even been MySpace at that time, that that evening he overdosed and he died. We keep on thinking that we can just wait, that we can wait for our coworker. And I'm not saying go be a jerk. I'm not saying, see, in our minds where we mess stuff up because our minds are so creative, we think that what Scripture is asking us to do or that what the pastor is asking us to do is to go to our coworkers or our friends or our peers or our loved family member tomorrow or today and call them up and say, hey, you sinner, you're going to hell, repent. You suck at life. And if you don't get this right, God is condemning you. That's not what I'm asking. I don't believe that that's what God's asking through Scripture. I think what Scripture is asking us is to be willing to represent Christ everywhere we go and don't be hesitant to bring him up and share of his goodness and allow people to taste and see and see and know the light and salt that you have. So, hey, Sean May, how's your day today? I'm having a really good day. Well, why is it so good? so appreciative of all the things that Jesus has done for me. Shambay, how you doing today? Not so good. But I'm hopeful of the things that Jesus is going to do for me. 
Bring Jesus up and don't compromise because the world is never going to change if our generation doesn't repent of the compromise. Because what I see most of the time is a generation just trying to get away from the Bible. We just want to get away from it. Like, okay, God, I did my work and then now I gave you this. Now I just want to get away from you. We need to quit trying to get away from him. So what's the antidote? What's the antidote to compromise? How do we fix this? And what was Jesus offering to those in Pergamum? What was their antidote? How do they get out of this situation? Well, Jesus provides a way to make it right. And Jesus is providing you a way to make it right and me a way to make it right. And here's the way that he provided the church in Pergamum. Repent. Therefore, repent. That was the way. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. What Jesus says to do here is repent. He didn't say think about repenting. He didn't say talk about repenting in small group. He didn't say ponder it. He said, make that change right now. Right now, repent. Right now, right now, do it. Right now. There's an illustration I loved by Francis Chan. And he said, when I tell my kids to go clean their room, what do I want them to do? Go clean their room told you to go clean your room, go clean it. But if my kid came back downstairs or across the hallway and told me, hey, Dad, here's the original language for cleaning my room. Or I was thinking we should have a small group to discuss what cleaning rooms looks like. Or maybe we could have a passionate conversation about what the perfectly clean room would look like. He said, I don't care about those conversations. What I want is for you to go clean your room. What Jesus was telling the church of Pergamum is, I don't want to have a conversation about this. If you want to be spared, this is black and white. Go repent. Repent of the compromise in your life or else. What will he do? I will bring a sword against them. And some people have been confused about the them. When you do your research, the them here is those who don't repent. Of course, Jesus' judgment is coming against those who are not following him, so he's talking to the church. So then within the church, his sword's going to come against them who are not repenting. Can we change and repent today of the compromise we're making in our life? Turn from compromise in your life today. He was telling those in Pergamum that they need to leave the lifestyle of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. They needed to remove the false teachings from their life. If they didn't, Jesus would soon come and fight against them with the sword of his mouth. 
I wonder how many things we have compromised. I wonder how many things we have compromised on that personal, uh, personally that now has been celebrated in our, our life. How many things have we compromised on in the past that we're now celebrating? God, help us not be deceived, amen? I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to compromise. And if this church was to repent, Jesus then reveals to them a reward. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. In short, I believe that the hidden manna is Jesus, which is all the nourishment ever needed for a believer. I feel like sometimes what we do is, I believe we teach the Bible here. I can't say we teach it really well, but we teach the Bible. But then sometimes I feel like we miss the relationship side with Christ, the experience side with Christ. And we want to integrate that moving forward. How do we, how do we have nights of worship? How do we have moments of prayer where, where we get to experience the reality of who Jesus is in a deep, deep way? But what was being offered in this hidden manna was Jesus himself. In John um, 6, 48 through 51, Jesus likens himself to the bread from heaven, the manna that came down from heaven and nourished his people. So we will receive Christ when we repent. We will also receive a white stone. One author says this, um, one of the better accepted explanations of the white stone has to do with the high priest's breastplate, which contained 12 stones. Each of these stones had the name, um, had the name, the, I'm trying to find it on my, um, had the name of the 12 tribes of Israel engraved on it, Exodus 28, 21. As he ministered in the temple, the high priest bore the names of God's people into God's presence. In the same way, the white stone was the believer's name written on it. It could be a reference to our standing in God's presence. He continued, another widely held explanation suggests that the white stone may be a translucent, translucent precious stone such as a diamond. The word translated white in Revelation 2.17 is lecal, lecals, um, and has also meant brilliant and bright. This interpretation holds that on the stone is written the name of Christ, not the name of the believer. Revelation mentions that the name of Christ is written on the foreheads of the saints. So, Finally, one idea about the white stone is another idea regarding the white stone 
has to do with the ancient Roman custom of awarding white stones to the victors of their athletic games. So they'd have athletic games, and then you get your white stone if you win, right? The winner of the contest was awarded a white stone with his name inscribed on it. This served as his ticket to a special awards banquet. According to this view, Jesus' promise to the overcomers' entrance to eternity, uh, sorry, Jesus promises the overcomers' entrance to eternal victory, celebration in heaven. So when we receive this white stone, when we repent, we get our invitation into heaven. See, there are many things we can learn and address from the church of Pergamum. Our culture rejects biblical values. Our culture winks at sin. Our culture praises rebellion. Christ's attitude towards compromise should cause us to take notice. And um, maybe you haven't compromised in these areas. Maybe you haven't. But you have compromised in your attitudes towards others. Maybe you've compromised in your thoughts. Maybe you've compromised in not bringing up Jesus throughout your life. And what are we called to do also? Compromise. Or sorry, not compromise, repent. Just make sure you're all listening. I'm at least listening to myself. What are we called to do? Repent, repent, repent. So I'm going to read it again. I'm going to add one more. Compromise happens over time, so you don't notice that it is happening. Compromise lowers its standards, or compromise lowers, lowers our standards that we first held. Compromise is rarely offensive because it is considered as loving. Compromise will lead to you accepting what you once thought was disgusting. And compromise is the first step in complete disobedience. When we compromise, we're taking a step towards disobedience. And I just thought how challenging the first three churches have been. So in Ephesus, they left their first love. They did a lot of stuff for God, but they left their first love. In Smyrna, that church had to endure a bunch of suffering. Leaving my first love does not sound fun. Enduring suffering does not sound fun. And then this third church... The theme of it is compromise. I just feel like through these churches we're to make some kind of step, some kind of, um, yeah, repent. There's just supposed to be repentance as we hear this message. A blessing is supposed to come. But look, the blessing comes from what? Those who read the words, those who hear the words, and then what was the next one? Those who obey the words. And there's some of us in here who have heard the words today. Some of us have read the words. I've tried to read the words. 
And then we need to be obedient. Will we obey? Will we yield to what God has been speaking to us about in the compromise in our life today and obey what he's calling us to next? So there's no background music today, but I am going, I am going to offer the ability to respond at the altar and talk to God about the rebellion, about the lack of repentance and the compromise in your life. Or, this isn't for everyone, but there's some people in here that this will be relevant for. Or, you can compromise and walk out the door proud, justifying why everything in your life is okay. So I'm gonna pray, and you guys just come up here and talk to God. And maybe we'll just put on some light music if, if we can. Yeah, please. Do you, Bob's going to get the microphone for you. You all may not know it, but I can be a very anxious person, especially when it comes to my children. And God revealed to me this week that I don't have to bemoan the fact that look at what my children and my bonus grandchildren have to face in the world right now. Because you know what? God knew he placed Jordan and he placed Joseph in this world now. And he has given them the girdle of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the sandals of peace, the hem of the salvation, the word of God, but I miss. Anyway. He, he already has that there for them. Having my sons taken it up, mm, not always. But my prayer isn't to, oh, God, please, please, you know, make the world okay for them. It's make them warriors. Help them to take hold of what God already has in place for this time. Amen. Let's just, is there anyone else who has something burning that God's putting on their heart right now? I'm going to pray. You know, um, Maybe we respond to the altar for our family members, for our friends, or for our, ourself. God, I recognize how it could be so easy to compromise. How I have compromised in friend groups, in social settings, in my home, within the church, Father. Just recognize where um, it's so easy to do that. I pray that you would do something different in us as, 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 as we try to turn from our sin, Father. So we just turn from those actions and say, I understand that those are not your ways, God, and I want to turn to your ways again.
I pray that as we respond, as you um, put something on our heart, Father, to give up, that we would do that. So we love you, we need you. And I know, Father, that as we have a conversation with you, you are going to forgive us of the compromise we've made. So set us free today. In Jesus' name. Amen.